I'm Bud Brainer. I'm one of the pastors here at Lake Forest Davis. We're delighted to have you here. This is a church where it doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. You can be cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or fully committed to Jesus. No matter where you are, this is a safe place for you to learn, to grow, and to change. As long as you don't have it all together, you're going to fit right in with the rest of us. So we're glad to have you here. When we meet in these circles, we are reminded that uh, there, there needs to be something at the center of our lives, some person, some idea, some concept around which the rest of our life kind of uh, just moves around and, and centers around. Jesus says he would love to take that place. He would love to be the center of your life. And if you ever choose to make him the center of your life, then you will find abundant life, both in this life and the one to come. So we're glad that you're here. We're going to continue the, the sermon series that we've been uh, in for about four weeks now. It is, it is a series, as Michael said, about Jesus' encounters with various people and, and about how each one of those persons had a need and Jesus met that need. So if you'll remember, we started out talking about a woman whose whole life was kind of defined by shame. And then the second person we looked at was a violent lunatic. And then the third person we looked at was a young guy who had a whole lot of money. And then last week, Holly talked about a woman who had had a long-standing physical illness. Now, you may be having a hard time connecting with any of those life circumstances. So today is for the rest of us. Today, Jesus is going to encounter somebody who was very well-respected in his community. Not only from a civil perspective, but from a religious perspective as well. This guy kind of had his life together. And so we might want to ask, if somebody has their life together, what need could they possibly have that Jesus could be? So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you that you meet us wherever we are, in whatever life circumstance we find ourselves you are there to meet us and to satisfy the needs that we have. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to jump right in. We're going to walk through this text. It's already been read to you, but verse 1 is where we're going to begin. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So from the very first verse, we learned two things about this man named Nicodemus. The first thing we learned is that he is a Pharisee. Now, if you've been in the church for a long time, I know already you're thinking, Pharisee, Pharisee, Pharisee. Oh yeah, they're the bad guys. They're the bad guys in the gospel. But that's really not a very complete picture at all. Pharisees were extremely well-educated people. As a matter of fact, their role in the community of faith was to teach the scriptures. That's a role that's very near and dear to my heart. Paul, the apostle, was a Pharisee. So Pharisees were smart guys. They knew the scriptures. They were teachers, if you will. The second thing that we find out about Nicodemus uh, is that, uh, as one author says, Pharisees are an um, aristocracy of learning. Nicodemus was intellectual. He was a smart guy. He was a very careful thinker. Nicodemus would have fit right in in Davidson, our little college town. He would have just fit right in. He, matter of fact, 
He may be seated next to you right now. So be careful what you say about him. The second thing we learn about Nicodemus is that uh, John tells us he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now, what's the Jewish ruling council? Well, you may know it under the name Sanhedrin. So Sanhedrin, every, every town in Israel had one. In, uh, in every town, there was a group of men, Pharisees, Sadducees, and some priests, who met together daily. The word Sanhedrin literally means sitting together. So they would sit together every day, and they would rule and pass judgment on civil disputes as well as religious disputes. So it's a pretty important role. So we already know that Nicodemus is intelligent. He's a careful teacher. We already know that he's not only smart, but he's wise. Capable of making really wise decisions. Which, by the way, probably explains the very next verse. Look at the next verse. He came to Jesus at night. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you were a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. You know, you can't be too careful. If you're really wise, you can't be too careful. Nicodemus had a wonderful Jewish mother. And his mother would say to him on a regular basis, Nicky, be careful who you hang out with. Because you're going to be known by the people that you associate with. Jesus, in our mind, is very common. In his day, that wasn't always the case. And because Nicodemus is a, a ruler in the Jewish faith, how about that? Is that, like, is that louder? Good. Ruler in the Jewish faith, he has to be careful. So he goes to him at night. He says, you're a teacher. You're a rabbi. We already know Nicodemus is a he was a teacher of the scriptures. So you, if you wanted to think, where could this conversation take place if it were taking place in our time? Think about the teacher's lounge. The teacher's lounge is where the teachers gather and they challenge and they stretch one another in their body of knowledge. And that's what's going on here. Now Nicodemus was the best kind of teacher. He's really a good guy. He was a lifelong learner. He loved to learn. He had an inquisitive and open mind. He came to Jesus because he was trying to understand. I like that. I get that. I respect that. I even admire that about Nicodemus. The desire to understand as a prerequisite to believe is stronger in some people than it is in others. Now, I don't know if that's right or that's wrong. All I know is that it just is. To somebody who values the life of the mind, wanting to understand before you believe seems the right thing to do. And yet, as we're going to see in this passage, understanding the things of God turns out not to be a matter of intellectual prowess, but more a matter of trust and experience. You see, doctrine doesn't have the power to save. Only a relationship with Jesus Christ has the power to save. Now, 
You and I are never going to meet anybody who has all of the answers. As a matter of fact, if you come across somebody and they tell you they have all the answers, here's what you should do. Run. You don't want to be around somebody who has all the answers. But just because we can't know everything doesn't mean that we can't know some things. We can know some things. And Jesus, who is a teacher, meeting with this other teacher, is going to begin to share with Nicodemus some things that he needs to know, and he's going to share them in a most unusual way. You're probably familiar with the term double entendre. I love that phrase, double entendre. It's set, it sounds sexy to me. That's because entendre is French, right? In French, just sounds sexy when you say French things, right? So double entendre. The word entendre can mean to hear, or to understand, or to find meaning. So a double entendre is a figure of speech or a particular way of wording that is devised to be understood in one of two ways. It can have a double meaning, if you will. Now typically one of those meanings is pretty obvious based on the context, but the other one you may have to think about a little bit as the beauty of these double entendres. And get ready, Jesus, is about to employ the double entendre. Here it comes. Verse 3, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Did you get it? Did you get it? The double entendre? It's the two words, born again. Now, it's not really the verb, born, but there's something interesting about this verb. In this entire conversation, every time that word is used, it's in the passive voice. In other words, Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, this is not something that you do. This is something that happens to you. So the verb is important. As a matter of fact, being born is always something that happens to us, not something that we make happen. Being born is a gift, not an achievement. Now, on to the more interesting word, the double entendre word. Again, it's a Greek word, all of them, and it can mean, again, that's one of the meanings. But another meaning of this word is from above. So Jesus is saying to, to Nicodemus, in order to even see the kingdom of God, you must be born again, or born from above, or both. Well, I know that clears it all up for you, so we'll just close that. But the conversation continues. So Nicodemus says, how can somebody be born when they are old? Nicodemus said, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus is thinking about a physical birth. That's what his mind is. He's thinking about a physical birth, about re-entering and then emerging a second time from his mother's womb. I tell you, this is something that holds zero interest for both Nicodemus and his mother. Right? No interest at all in, in this. Uh, they're not, they don't want to participate in anything like that. Now, you don't have to be an intellectual to say, come on, that's really absurd. That can't possibly be what this means. 
But Nicodemus is doing exactly what we all do. He is drawing conclusions and thinking through what Jesus says from his own knowledge and experience. Now, a second trip down the birth canal doesn't seem like a good fit, if you know what I mean. But that's where Nicodemus' mind is. Now, I for one am, am glad that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. Because when Nicodemus throws this out about, you know, you, we can't really go back into mom's womb and come out again. I think that Jesus is biting his lip. I think he's trying really hard not to laugh. Because that really is absurd. Jesus is a good teacher. He maintains his composure because he knows two things. Number one, Nicodemus is serious. And two, he knows that he loves Nicodemus. Nicodemus has an inquiring mind, and he's asking the best questions he can based on his knowledge and experience. But because Nicodemus is a lifelong learner and a good teacher, Jesus is more than happy to give him a little more information. So verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is setting this being born again, or born from above, or both. Jesus is setting that up as a requirement before you can see or enter the kingdom of God. Now, we know that Jesus isn't talking about a, uh, a second physical birth, so mom, you're off the hook. It's good. Flesh gives birth to flesh. That's a one and done. Jesus is talking about a spiritual birth, being born again, born from above. Or both. It is spiritual and not physical. One birth begins our physical life. The birth that Jesus is talking about is the beginning of our spiritual life. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you shouldn't be surprised, but he is. He's surprised by that. I dug into that word a little bit uh, when it says, you know, you shouldn't be surprised. It's a word that, that appears all through the Gospel of John. And every time it's used, it's used to describe the reaction to one of Jesus' miracles or to something that Jesus is teaching. But it is never used to describe the reaction of the disciples or the followers of Jesus. It is always used to describe the reaction of somebody who isn't yet following Jesus. It's not used as a description of the attitude of believers. It's always the attitude of those who are cautious or curious. So Nicodemus is struggling. He's struggling to understand this. Jesus sees that struggle, and he encourages the struggle. And guess what? If you're struggling, Jesus isn't going to try to talk you out of your struggle. Jesus is going to encourage your struggle. 
So Jesus is thinking, he's kind of scratching his head. He said, well, maybe, maybe an analogy will help. Now, I'm old, so I've heard a lot of theories in my day. And uh, Jesus tells this wonderful analogy about the wind. And he says, hey, you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it goes. You know, people are born in the spirit just like that. Well, when I was seven years old, I had a cousin named Bobby. And we were talking philosophical stuff, which is what you do with yourself, with your cousin. And I asked Bobby about the wind. And he said, oh, I, I, know, I know what causes the wind. What? He said, when the trees move, that's what causes the wind. Now think about that. Right? If it's windy, or if the tree's not moving, and if the trees aren't moving, there's no wind, could be. It could be. Now, those in the Academy of Science will tell you that, no, 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 no. Wind is caused by variations in barometric pressure. Could be. Has anybody here this morning ever seen a barometric? No, nobody at the 930 service had either. So it, it, it could be, it could be the explanation of why the wind moves. The reality is, we know that it's windy because we do see the trees moving. We do see it fill a sail. We see it turn a windmill. We hear the wind hit those wind chimes on the porch and you get this wonderful melodious tone. So the illustration about the wind is a way for Jesus to help Nicodemus change the way he's thinking. He's saying, Nicodemus, when I talk about being born from above or born again or both, it's about what you feel and what you see. It's about what you know with your heart and your senses as much as it is your mind. Now, I grew up not believing in Jesus. And my lifestyle and my language were ample proof of that. When, uh, when I was uh, 23 years old, in the middle of the night at a pastor's dining room table, um, I asked to be born again. Prayed a prayer, asked God to come into my heart, Surrender my life to Christ. I didn't feel any different after that. But the next morning when I got up to take my shower, and, and I lived in a single white trailer, not a double white, but don't judge me. Single white trailer that was older than I was, and, and the shower spigot was just about chin height. And so when I went down to get the soap, and I came up, and I cracked the center of my head on that shower spigot, and hard enough to draw blood, the only word that came to my mind was ouch. <laughs> and I gotta tell you, I had a whole list of well-used expletives that would have normally come out of my mouth. I did not make a conscious decision to set that list aside. It was something that God did <laughs> in and for me. Kind of like <coughs> again. That's what Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus to see. He's trying to get him to see that being born again is something that happens to us. 
not something that we do. So does Nicodemus get it? I mean, he's a smart guy, right? He's wise. Does he get it? Verse 9. How can this be? Asked Nicodemus. <coughs> Jesus is engaged in this teacher-to-teacher conversation, but he's not making very much progress because Nicodemus is trying to figure it out. Right? He's trying to use his intellect to get there. But the intellectual path is blocked. Maybe, maybe Nicodemus is trying too hard to understand. Now that doesn't sound right. But let's keep reading verse 10. Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, on the one hand, if you read that, you say, Jesus is really getting frustrated. I mean, Nicodemus is not getting But Jesus is not frustrated at all. What Jesus is expressing here is sadness and sympathy. Because he knows how frustrating it can be when a person thinks that they've got to have every question answered before they believe. Jesus respects intellectual integrity, but he also knows that there are some questions. There are some questions that can only be answered by experience. And experience is what validates spiritual birth. Let me say that again. Experience is what validates <coughs> spiritual birth. And sometimes the experience required is letting go of the intellectual rope long enough for God to catch us. Now, Jesus knows that it's necessary if you want to see and enter the kingdom of God. But to the careful thinker, Let's just be honest. It sounds foolish. It just sounds foolish. But then again, God has a history of doing what appears to be very foolish in order to accomplish his will. The Old Testament prophets knew this. Isaiah said, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. Now, Jesus refers to a time in Israel's life where they were really, really in trouble. They're out in the wilderness, and it's bad enough to be out in the wilderness, but now they're out in the wilderness and they're surrounded by venomous snakes. Some of uh, King James' fiery serpents. They would bite the people, and the people would die, so we know they were venomous. So God tells Moses, I've got a fix for this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some bronze, and I want you to shape that into the image of one of those snakes and then stick it on a stick and hold it up. And then whoever gets bitten and looks at that, they'll be fine. Really? Does that sound reasonable to you? 
Would that be a good answer on the exam? How do you survive a venomous snake bite? I don't think so. And yet, that is exactly how God chose to do it. That is exactly how he chose to do it. I know thinking people have a hard time because it doesn't sound reasonable. But Nicodemus, if you want to experience eternal life, what you need to do is simply trust Jesus. You don't need to know more. You just trust Jesus. So, probably everybody in this room knows about the trust fall, the little exercise. You've done it at camp, you may have done it on a business retreat, the trust fall. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so for the rest of you, here's the way it works. You're in a group, and you're trying to build trust within the group, so you trust one another. So they have, they have a guinea pig, and they, they stand them up, and they say, cross your arms, kind of like this. And then we just want you to close your eyes and fall backward toward the floor. But we're going to have one or more people behind you. Now, you can't see them, but they're going to be behind you, and they will catch you before you hit the floor. My advice to you is be very careful that you play this game because not everybody is trustworthy. Jesus is. Jesus is trustworthy. When we fall into his arms, even if we can't see him, he can be trusted. He will meet our need. Now, trusting Jesus with your whole life with every aspect of your life, will take a lifetime. And any good teacher worth of salt will tell you it's not about how much you know, it's about how much you can trust him. And this little episode in the third chapter of John is not the end of Nicodemus' story. He shows up again later on in the Gospel of John in chapter 19. And here's what it says. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, he's not going to... They're not going to forget that. Earlier came to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So Jesus has been crucified, he's been taken down from the cross. They took the body of Jesus, bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as the burial custom, as it is the burial custom of Jesus. So Nicodemus, who's this well-educated man, this careful thinker, somewhere along the line, decided to place his trust in Jesus. Here's what I want you to remember. If you're a careful thinker, and I hope that you are, Jesus loves careful thinkers. But if you're a careful thinker, it's really easy to overcomplicate the gospel. It is almost impossible to oversimplify it. Let me say that again. It's really easy to overcomplicate the gospel. It's almost impossible to oversimplify it. So here it is. In order to see and enter the kingdom of God, 
must be born again. Born from above. Or both. That's what's required. It's a spiritual birth, a new life. It is a gift to you. It is not an achievement which you attain. Your life can and will change in both subtle and dramatic ways. It may change immediately or it will change definitely over a lifetime as the Spirit of God lives in you. All you need to do is to trust. Now, if you haven't been able to come to the place where you can believe, again, you don't need more information. You just don't. You need to ask God for a second birth, for a spiritual beginning. And if you will ask him for the gift of faith to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he paid the price for all the things that would possibly ever separate you from God, that all of those have been paid for, and that he has redeemed you with of his own life. That's what God requires. And if you do that, you may be surprised. You just may be surprised. The last thing before I close, I was thinking about Pharisees, how smart they are, what they know, and I thought of the words of one of the Pharisees that we all know, and that's the Apostle Paul. Here's what Paul said. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So this morning, if you don't understand yet what it means to be born again or from above or both, the truth is nobody's ever going to be able to fully explain it to you. The only way to get the answer to the question is by personal experience. If you're a careful thinker, you ought to be a little nervous. As you cross your arms and Close your eyes and fall back. There is that rational voice in you that says, this is really going to hurt when I hit the floor. But Jesus is trustworthy. He is trustworthy. He will be whatever need you have. I close this morning by asking you to think about two questions. First, have you been resistant to trusting Jesus? Because you have questions that remain unanswered? Second, are there things about what Jesus says and does that you don't fully understand? Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. Let's pray. <coughs> Lord, I pray for those of us who are careful thinkers. And there are probably a lot of us here this morning. 
last thing we want to do is something foolish. So help us to know the difference between foolish and wise. Help us to believe in the gospel. Help us to trust Jesus with our lives. We ask it in his name.